hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. No. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mundus. <laughs> Children. Hey, hey, kids! <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 337 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult cancer survivor, broadcasting right now from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest support network for young adults affected by cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, and Blog Talk Radio. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. This episode, we are discussing acupuncture and cancer. Welcoming licensed acupuncturists Cynthia Hewitt and Kaya Larson, and our very own Allie Ward, VP of Programs and Executive Producer of CancerCon. We're going to discuss cancer and acupuncture and how the ancient art can help during cancer before, during, and after treatment. Survivor Spotlight on Ashley. England. Alrighty. Good evening. Hello, everyone. Hello. Yo. Hey, who's that giant redhead sitting in the chair that's been know, missing I've, for a month? I've been uh, MIA. What are you up to? Uh, I was in Aruba and I was in Palm Springs and now I'm in the cold. <laughs> Congratulations on your fabulous vacation, though. Yes. To Palm Springs. No, well, that was, I'm sorry. That was work. That was, yeah, <laughs> with air quotes. Yes. I, I attended the Etail West Conference. What is Etail? Uh, it, it's the. I guess the largest, one of the largest meetings of uh, e-commerce professionals. So, That's a thing, right? Yes. So Buying I, stuff online. Yeah. I hear it's, a, it's trending now. Well, it, it's contributed to our growth. <laughs> yes, it so certainly has. So that is why I am there. Yes. Uh, rubbing elbows with people from all of the big names in the business. I actually heard a really interesting keynote on Target and kind of their failure in Canada and where they're headed. That's right. They're closing the all the stores States. in Canada, right? Yes. Why is that? Uh I don't know. It's just you so know, you didn't it, listen it, to the it, keynote. You just it, it, were aware it, it happened. It happened. <laughs> no, it, you know, it just happened. It was a result of um, poor market study, or you know, X, Y, and Z. Wow. So Walmart is still there, but Target's leaving. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Wow. Sad times. Yeah. Yep. 
Hi, Mallory. Hello. How are you? I'm just dandy. Yeah? Yeah. You've been doing a lot of power grants recently. Yes. Lots and lots of grants. <laughs> it's been fun stuff. Yes. But you're well? Yes. And uh, Sean Shapiro here, our director of development, just fresh back from Killington. Hey, Why do you guys, you know, married with kids, I'm, I don't have any fun. I mean, I love <laughs> my kids, and I hate, I hate to say it that way, but, man, I miss skiing, and I miss Aruba and grant writing. <laughs> I don't have human beings to be responsible that's right, that's for, right. so I can throw myself yeah, through I trees so. and No, I'm just kidding. I love my wife. I love my kids. But still, man, wow, the back in the day. So you you're, you're, you're um, have some really, really amazing news to share with us on this show. We broke 50,000 VIP club. 50,000 what? Drachmas? Dollars. Dollars. That gets Dollars. A, a, a big applause. $50,000 for what? For the VIP club, the Cancer Con VIP club, that yeah. is that is extraordinary. That's that's really a big deal, because our goal was fifty thousand by like the end of April, and here it is barely March. Actually, it's barely February. It's mostly February. It's mostly it's, February. It's mid February. It's, it's, it's mid to late February. That's right. It's almost March. That's that's good. Very exciting. Very very exciting stuff. Yeah. So um, now we're uh, we're we're aiming for seventy five thousand. And I know that um, we're going to be making an announcement. Uh, Next week, that CancerCon is nearly sold out, but anyone that listens to this tomorrow will know that in advance that CancerCon is nearly sold out, and uh, it's very exciting. We were kind of struggling to hit 450 last year, and now we're at like 565 or something. That's There's quite a few people That's a coming. lot of people. Yeah. It'll be really big, really big. We'll have to figure out how to expand it next year. That's the thing. Like The, the hotel itself has an entirely separate ballroom like it's two hotels in one, mm-hmm. so they merge. Like an old hotel and a new hotel merge. So there's two ballrooms, two event spaces, two restaurants. There's two of everything. And if we move to the other hotel, it's like twice the size. But I think the minimum we need to go there is 800. Well, you never know. Yeah, that's right. Could I happen. think we're gonna. Speaking of giving our Allie Ward a heart attack by saying these things, I'm glad she's on the show. She hasn't been on the show in quite a while. Um, she was on two weeks ago. On the show? She was here two weeks well, ago. Well, she wasn't on the show as a guest. She was in the studio as an anchor, which is nice. Yes. Is She's that what we are? Your anchors? Yeah. Co-anchors? I thought I was more of a kite. <laughs> well, what? Okay. Anyway, in the news, we had some really interesting um, stuff this week. The Oscars, of course, were four hours long, but exciting. Yes. I mean, I think that Everything is Awesome Lego was amazing. They did a really good job. Everything was awesome. Yeah, everything about Especially that was awesome. the Lego Oscars that they handed yes, out. Yes, that was pretty great. That was pretty great. And uh, Common and uh, John Legend. Yes. But I think Lady Gaga stole the show. I was quite impressed with Lady Gaga's singing of Sound of Music. It was, I may or may not have gotten super emotional about how she awesome was. So, she was. And then Julie Andrews coming out at the end is amazing. Julie Andrews was just the icing on the cake. But I think she was just a walk on. Like no one knew she was part of the show. She I, just came out to. It, it just it the whole tribute was just amazing. But speaking of the Oscars, it opened up a conversation. Time Magazine published a uh, an article yesterday about how diseases are now the new thing in film. Yes. It used to be playing ethnic, playing, you know, European, playing, you know, Christ, playing uh, Holocaust. Now it's playing disease. And it's good because we're raising awareness ALS yes. with uh, the Stephen Hawking movie. 
and autism with not autism um alzheimer's yes both with, uh acting main acting awards went to health related movies yep was birdman part of it nominated well he didn't have mental health issues in birdman he was it was just like a he was kind of crazy. He's just kind of crazy. Was pretty crazy. Yeah, I would say he had mental health issues. <laughs> Don't ruin the end. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <clears throat> ALS clearly in the theory of everything Stephen Hawking. I mean, that raised what 140 million last year, and yeah. now the movie <laughs> best best actor um, Julianne Moore in uh, what's it called Alice? Still Alice. Still Alice about Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's, and of course, the, the, you know, there were a bunch of other movies this year that were very well received. Uh, about cancer, no, no, notably The Fault in Our Stars, which I, I think in terms of accuracy was pretty spot on. Uh, and considering John Green had never met a teen cancer survivor or patient, had never stepped into a keen teen cancer ward when he wrote the book. So he <laughs> he did something pretty good. Yeah. But it, it, we, we put this on our Facebook wall about, you know, how do you feel about disease-based movies and it was mixed because people want the attention it's good for the public but of course like anything if you have it it's never accurate enough because it doesn't tell my story and i think that's a sacrifice we can take for the team that you know even the tv shows like chasing life or um, red band society it's never going to be your story get over it but it's about the general public who doesn't care about your story but would want to be interested in the fact that, oh, here's something that happens that maybe I could care about now. So, yeah. Yeah. I think if I think if it ended up mi- mimicking people's personalized stories too much, it would they lose, would be interested. It, it, that's my point. Yeah, it can't be your story. So, I mean, everything's based on a true story for a reason. I mean, even the Benedict Cumberbund movie, whatever, the, the Nazi movie. Uh, what was it called? Yeah, I, Benedict Cumberbatch. Thank you. <laughs> Benedict eggs eggs Benedict cover yes. one yeah um that's based on a true story that's not his story because they had to make it Hollywoodized for the public to really gain that this wasn't a Holocaust movie in the sense of like Auschwitz but it was a World War II movie about Nazi code breaking and again I, I just I'm, I'm really happy that diseases are now a big thing in Hollywood I hope it lasts it certainly is, is a nice sort of I would say a a, 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 a a yin to the yang of all the superhero movies that are out there, which I'm still looking forward to. But anyway, and one other story that was in the news that was really important was they revalidated the science around chemo brain because it was always like this nebulous, esoteric, oh, you're making it up or whatever, whatever. There's actually now re-reinforced science around brain chemistry post-chemotherapy and radiation. And I got to say that hit that on the wall got like a hundred thousand views on the wall. That is a really sensitive, hot button issue. Yes, lots of people have things to say. And uh, quite every now and then, by every now and then, I mean ninety percent of the time, I have chemo brain, and I think Kenny can validate that. Yes, at any given moment. Yes, I have sympathy chemo brain. <laughs> Very well done. All right, well, let's get the show started. In the spotlight tonight, Ashley England, diagnosed with borderline ovarian cancer eight years ago at the age of 27, now cancer-free, and has been blessed with two beautiful daughters. Her passion for health promotion, disease prevention, has led her to a career within a health and wellness company. We're going to find all about that. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, one of my favorite Twitterers, Ashley England. Hello, Ashley. Hello. 
you know, I, I was growing. I went to high school with somebody whose last name was England, but they pronounced it Angland. I don't know if you ever. I, I, it's no, I've never heard of that. Very weird. <laughs> I'm glad you're not that person. No, I'm not that person. Well, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you here. You have an amazing story, and you have a story with an amazing, a, a really true, tangible, happy ending. Parenthood and a family, and it's just very, very exciting. Um, so why don't you take us back to eight years and maybe six months ago, your life. You were probably just free footloose and fancy free being 20 something. And what happens? Yeah, I was 27. Um, I was working full time, but you know, I had my set of friends and I'd go out and listen to live music and, um, didn't really have any, any worries. Um, no major, uh, health issues. And, you know, just kind of going about my life, thought possibly maybe in the future I'd want to have kids. Um, but at this point I was 27 and I didn't really, you know, feel like it was a huge pressure at the moment, but, um, things kind of turned when, in you know, January, I just went into my OBGYN for just a regular exam. And what did they discover in the, uh, in the exam room? Well, um, I went in for a regular exam, and my doctor, um, who I had been seeing since 2004, and then so this would be 2007, uh, she said, are, are you pregnant? Have you been trying to get pregnant? And I kind of laughed and said, well, no. <laughs> um, and ironically, it's funny because um, since I'm gay, <laughs> that's not something that's going to happen just, you know, on accident. And so we laughed about it, and we were like, no, ha, ha, ha. And she goes, okay, well, uh, I need to get you in for a sonogram. And I said, oh, okay, well, that that's kind of concerning. And she goes, because I feel something, but I'm not really sure what it is, but we need to go ahead and get it checked out just in case. So, of course, I started panicking um, because of fear of the unknown. Right. And um, I guess about a couple weeks went by before I could actually get an appointment in until uh, to get the sonogram done. Um, and at that point, they uh, they went in, you know, transvaginally, like most of the sonograms do when you have smaller cysts, they can see them. Mm -hmm. But at that point, the lady, the sonographer actually turned off the monitor on me um, and did an abdominal sonogram instead and took a couple of pictures and then very quietly left the room. And I just kind of sat there staring at the wall, wondering, you know, what was going to happen. Um, and so... Within the next five minutes, the doctor was in the room with me, and it was all a big blur of, you know, large ovarian mass, emergency surgery, might be cancer. And I honestly can't remember the exact conversation after I heard the word cancer. My heart dropped to my stomach, and I just froze. So the, uh, was the, like the, the delivery of the message could have been done a little more tactfully, you're saying? Well, no. Um, she actually was, she's my best doctor. I still use her. I never would go to anybody else. Um, but she's very, the reason I like her is because she's very straightforward. Um, and she doesn't beat around the bush. And if she feels like there's an issue, she's going to tell you up front because she wants you to have all the information. Uh, but that being that scared already and wondering what was going to happen, my mind races and I don't listen very well. <laughs> So uh, I don't remember a lot of the conversation other than just, we need to have surgery. It has to be done ASAP, um, and you need to be prepared for this to be cancer. Wow. So, yeah. Because yeah. that's always good to hear when you're 27 and just living your life. 
Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what ovarian cancer was. I thought it was for, you know, older women and if you weren't taking care of yourself or had major, you know, fertility issues or something. And never in a million years would I have thought it would have um, come into my family, especially me. Just plain old bad luck. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. It could be. I have my theories about it now, and I'm definitely uh, much more health conscious. But, um, yeah, it just, it, it. completely changed the direction of my life. So one of the obvious issues we have on the show here is to really highlight why cancer in young adults is different, not necessarily better or worse than other age groups. But fertility does come to mind, not only if you have ovarian or you know uterine cancer where like the babies happen, but anywhere in your body that cancer could happen affects your, your ability to become a parent at any point in life or you know to even spare you the time to harvest follicles or bank your sperm um, mm-hmm. so that maybe one day you could do, uh, you know, in vitro if, if you if you don't have a uterus, for example. So I, I see here in your bio you had fertility sparing surgeries. Uh, what, what are those? So my right ovary was the one that was affected. And um, I had her take a picture of the ovary before she um, finished with the surgery so I could see it because I'm just medically very curious like that. And um, it was the size of a, a small children's soccer ball is what the, the ovary wound up being the size of. Um, and it was all encapsulated, but the ovarian tube was also stretched out. So my right ovary and right ovarian tube wound up getting removed, but my left one was perfectly fine. So she left that. Um, and we had had conversations about that. Um, that if she had found something on the left ovary that I wasn't going to play around with it and to go ahead and do a full hysterectomy because, you know, having my life versus, um, you know, dealing with cancer growing, I'd rather just go ahead and take it all. But fortunately, she didn't have to. So I only had my right ovary removed at that time. Wow. So you were, I mean, again, that's kind of luck at the same time, too. Yes. Um, I, I mean, do you, do you attribute the fact that attention was paid to your fertility needs because you were in the right place at the right time, or did you bring this to the conversation? Um, I, I think I was lucky. I think that, um, you know, I don't really know exactly what caused my ovarian cancer or why I got it at such a young age, but the fact that it, um, you know, only attacked one ovary at that time. Later on in the year, I had uh, several larger cysts grow on my left ovary, which were not cancerous. They were benign, but wound up taking a portion of them as well. Um, And I I had to make a promise to my OBGYN that if she were to keep my left ovary the next time I had to have an ovarian cyst removed, that I promised I would try to get pregnant as soon as possible. And, um, you know, this is when, you know, your belief in God and your faith and all of that kind of come in. Because five weeks after my last ovarian surgery, I was pregnant with my uh, now six-year-old daughter. So let's talk about pregnancy after cancer. And then I want to get to this whole borderline conversation because I think there's a whole outlier group that feels possibly ostracized from the rest of us, to quote the rest of us, right? Um, But how, how did you go about getting pregnant twice, actually, now? Well, um, I, I, I used a sperm bank um, and, you know, did, did the insemination process, but my OBGYN cleared me after surgery. She knew that I wanted to try to get pregnant as soon as possible afterwards. 
Um, and so five weeks post-op, I went in and I said, look, it's now or never, and I'm anxious to get this going. Um, so, you know, she checked me out. And she said, all your scars are doing well. You're healing well. I don't see any issues. So whenever you want to start trying, go for it. And two weeks later, I came back in with a home, you know, pregnancy test. Uh, and I went from, you know, cancer patient to immediate you know, being pregnant and, and first time mom. So my emotions were all over the place, but I was so ecstatic and I don't think you could wipe the smile off my face. Um, well, even now, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, I'm still smiling at the fact that I have two beautiful girls, um, after all of that, but well, I'm, I'm not sure I would have wanted to have been the person writing your Hallmark greeting cards that year. No, they would have been they would have been all over the place for sure. So was it was it was there any discussion along the way about the hormones that it would be you know your body was going to go through by being pregnant after cancer? Because you you didn't you did or did not have any post operative treatment. It was just the surgery. Well, I had two more surgeries after that because she didn't do any staging when she was in there when she took the ovary the right ovary that was borderline. She didn't think it was borderline at the time. And MD Anderson and another oncologist came back and said that it was. Um, so I actually had to go back in and do an appendectomy and, um, some, you know, pelvic washings just to make sure that there was nothing else in there that we were not aware of. And those came back clean. And then I went in and had a month after that, I had a a colonoscopy. So my first three surgeries were February, March, and April of 2007. Um, and, the colonoscopy was the last one to come back clean. So everybody was pretty satisfied that the cancer was gone and they didn't see any need for radiation or chemotherapy. So that was the first hallelujah <laughs> that I was very happy about not having to do. No, no, um, but and then, believe me, we're envious of the fact that you were not able, you didn't have to go through that. But I, again, it ties into this next conversation about cancer is not really a contest. It, it sucks at any age and any stage. Because you're young and your life gets disrupted. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are always going to be the elephant in the room with the varying degrees of severity under which it, it can cripple your life and, and damage your well-being. But at the same time, you know, it's a shared appreciation for being young and, you know, facing mortality and having it uproot probably most of what's going on in your life at the time. Yeah, it was very um, eye-opening to walk into a, you know, support group of any kind. And and being the youngest one in there, I I didn't, you know, return to any of those support groups because I felt out of place. So when I did find the young adult cancer movement online, uh, you know, and started reading profiles and everybody had such more aggressive cancers, I really felt like I should just sit down and be quiet and be grateful, you know, which I was, that mine wasn't as aggressive and I didn't have to go through all the horrible treatments and be, um, you know, poked and prodded and have chemo and radiation dumped into my body on a regular basis. But at the same time, the emotions were still there, the fear, the anger, the thought in the back of your head of, is it going to come back? You know, the, um, the doctor appointments that kept having to recur, the quarterly sonograms for five years to see if there were any new cysts on my left ovary. So monitoring-wise, I was still going through all of the same, you know, um, follow-up procedures, but being vocal about it being a borderline cancer, I felt kind of ashamed that I was even going to bring it up because it just didn't seem that big of a deal in comparison to what others were going through. 
Right, and haters so are going to hate. confusing. Yeah, haters are going to hate. You're not, there's nothing you could really do about that. But in, in the sense of the solidarity of the young adult cancer movement, there's a bell curve for everything. And some mm-hmm. people die, and some people live, and some people suffer, and some people suffer a little bit, some people don't suffer at all. And that's the way it is. But at the end of the day, if you're here, that's what matters. It doesn't matter how long you live, it's how you live, and your message to people like you. And that's what I stand for. That's what I hope our brand stands for. And I found that the people that, quote, suffered less become the more fierce advocates because they know how much worse it could have been. And they want to make sure that it sucks a little less for the next them for whom it could be worse. That's a great way to word it. I really like that. Um, You know, and I feel I feel that way across the board. I've been in the medical field with my career for many, many years, almost 15 to almost 20 years now. Um, and every person that I come across, I, I, that's my goal. And, and, you know, in case managing with them or working with them is to make things not quite so bad as what they could be and just give a little bit of, you know, a little bit more hope or a little bit of happiness or a little something to cling on to through their day so that they know that, you know, they have friends and support groups and, and, you know, feel loved and supported. So this broadcast is about acupuncture and cancer, which is, you know, used to be like a fringe freaky, what is this kind of whatever you're doing. But this notion of complementary alternative therapies, conscious health, nutritional science, they're all real things now. The hocus pocus is gone and you are very well versed in this personally and professionally um, you know, in terms of uh, you put here gut health, eating right, cutting out sugar. These are all obvious things. They're you know we've done lots of shows on nutrition and mindful nutrition and reasonable nutrition and living in New York City nutrition and having children nutrition. Um, so l- let's talk about you know we have about five minutes left in the sh- in the interview here. Um, tell us you know kind of in a nutshell what you've learned and what you're doing these days about it. What I've learned is to take a little bit of everything and make it work for you. To knock, not knock something unless you've really looked at it and done some research and don't ever assume that something is or is not going to work. Um, you know, I, I'm big, obviously, in the medical field, but I don't think all MD doctors have it right all the time. And I'm big in, um, you know, some naturopathic and general wellness things, but I also think that some people put too much stock in and one specific type of product and don't pay attention to the whole picture. So I'm a very holistic person in general. Um, but what I've been doing since my surgeries and, you know, pregnancies and all of that is not eating as much sugar as I was. I was downing sodas and sweet tea and coffees and energy drinks and all sorts of things on a daily basis to keep my energy level up and realized it was making me feel worse. Um, I wasn't drinking any water, and I certainly wasn't eating right. So that was that was my first thing. Um, I stumbled across a company a, about a year ago called Plexus, and uh, it's called Plexus Worldwide, and they are a health and wellness company, and they sell some really amazing uh, products that are some of the most natural that you can get. Anything from um, you know weight loss products to um, gut health products, bio um, probiotics. Um, 
they have a, a great product called Slim that helps balance out the blood sugar, and it's got some, you know, chromium in it and um, uh, chlorogenic acid and uh, all the different things that just kind of help your body clean itself out so that it can start to repair itself. Plexus doesn't do anything that any other, um, you know, healthy, it's not going to cure anything and it's not going to to make your body do anything magnificent. But what it, it does is it just helps you get back to a clean slate so that your, um, you know, your gut health is good. A lot of people will, you'll hear that they'll say, you know, that gut health can affect autoimmune issues and they're looking at gut health and autism and they're looking at gut health and cancer and they're looking at how all the, all of this stuff is combined. And, um, right now the, the, the Plexus products that I'm using and that I promote because the energy level, the toxicity that I felt is gone on. My energy level has increased. Um, and it's helped me just choose better foods because my blood sugar isn't all over the place. And when I talk to other cancer survivors who are also using Plexus products and even cancer patients who are going through chemotherapy, I am really surprised by the number of oncologists that are approving these products um, while they're going through chemotherapy. And it's making them not so tired and it's helping their immune system you know, stay built up so that they don't crash so hard in the middle of their chemotherapy and radiation. Um, you know, so it's all a matter of finding natural things that are going to help your body work the way it's supposed to. And well, it's exciting. That goes with, it's you know, exciting. Be- antibiotics and food and everything. Uh, it, it is exciting because people are now, you know, in this information age where we're able to really share what we're doing that you might not normally know about. You know, it's all really based on the democratization of your access to things. And, you know, the, the, the consumers will, you know, the products that make a difference will be the ones that rise up because they're being used and they're being effective. And the ones it's everyone's our own little Yelp with these types of things. So I'm really glad that this is working for you and other people. I, I, I we're out of time, but I really wanted to just ask you one other question because gut health, um, this is a sort of an aside, but something I'm really interested in. The Israelis mm-hmm. have have perfected something called the gut biome transplant for people with like C diff and uh-huh. and and some types of colorectal cancer that have gut biome issues that are making it you know more difficult. They basically give you a full you know um, colonic and they you know like like a pre colonoscopy cleanse, and they replace your gut biome with someone else's. So they I've heard about that. Yeah, and they do a full gut like you're basically it's a poop transplant. And they're putting someone's like large intestine waste inside you to basically restart your gut biome from scratch. It's like a blood transplant or a stem cell transplant for your gut biome and it's like the this like miraculous clinically evidence-based clinical studies that this is really working to re-jumpstart somebody who's possibly drinking, you know, too much soda. <laughs> Sounds like an episode of South Park. It, it really does, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard that they've got some amazing results out there. I would just hope that it would be somebody with good gut health. <laughs> right. You know, that you get the transplant from. No, Kenny's yeah, gut the... in my, yeah, I would not take Kenny's gut and, and put it in <laughs> anybody for that matter. It's dangerous stuff in there, Kenny. 
Anyway, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really enlightening stuff and really an inspiring story, to say the least. Uh, good luck and God bless you, your, your beautiful daughters. Um, Ashley Englund, diagnosed with borderline ovarian cancer eight years ago at the age of 27, uh, living well. Do you have a blog or a website we can point people to? Absolutely. I would love for them to check out if there's any Plexus products that they want to look at, especially with gut health. It would be the Probiotic 5 and the BioCleanse. And my website is bnzpinkwithplexus.com. Um, and it, it should take you right there. And if you have any questions or, or they want to email me, I can give that out too if, if you'd like. Sure. Uh, what, what, what's your Twitter handle? We can tweet to you. It's uh, at Pink with Plexus. Pink with Plexus. Awesome. Ashley, thank you so much and take care of yourself. All right. Thank you so much. Ashley England, everyone. Okay, Kenny, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out on them. A bunch of them coming up. Raleigh, North Carolina, San Diego, California, Seattle, Washington, Denver, Colorado, Sacramento, California, and Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you'd like to learn more about how to host your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org slash meetup. Cancer's lonely. We've got a cure for that. Yes, we're talking about Instapeer, our free mobile app that brings instant, anonymous, one-to-one peer support for anyone affected by any cancer. Visit instapeer.org and sign up to join our mobile beta testing community today. We launched a newsfeed aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive. We're proud to announce CancerMadeMeBroke.com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. So it's a good time to stock up on stupid cancer gear. Visit StupidCancerStore.org anytime. Stay nice and warm with all new products and styles to choose from. We've got our awesome skateboard, and don't forget about Flip. The Cancer Bird, our plushy mascot. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that, and that is, is your Stupid, stupid cancer, cancer News. Okay, this segment on acupuncture and cancer welcoming a trifecta of amazing guests. Cynthia Hewitt, New York City-based licensed acupuncturist and NCCAOM, we'll find out what that means, certified herbalist, graduate of Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. She has continued her studies with Memorial Sloan Kettering's Integrative Medicine Professional Program in Acupuncture as a complementary care for cancer patients. Joining her is Kaya Larson, practicing the amazing medicine of acupuncture for 16 years and more, graduating from the Art Institute of Chicago with her Bachelor's of Arts, went on to receive her Master's degree in acupuncture um, from uh, Thai Sophia Institute and is ranked a professor at the Maryland University of Integrative Health, and Kaya happens to be the acupuncturist for Allie Ward, the VP of Programs at Super Cancer 8-Year, Stage 4 Ovarian Survivor, diagnosed at the age of 35, now rocking it, kicking it, making it happen. Please welcome to the Super Cancer Show, Cynthia Hewitt, Kaya Larson, and Allie Ward. Hey, guys. (laughs) 
So this is exciting. Uh, Cynthia here in studio. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Hi, welcome to the party. Thank you. Uh, Allie, you're a veteran here on the show. But Kaya, how you doing? It's nice to meet you officially. I've heard all about you, and I don't believe a word. Oh, yeah, I'm great. I'm really pleased to be here. This is very exciting. I, I think this is the first show. Allie might be able to, uh, you know, I know we brought it up past, but I think this is the first show in seven years or almost eight years that we've dedicated specifically to acupuncture. We've done many shows on alternative medicine, the complementary integrative medicine, but this is a real thing, and you know, I, I would I would start first with Cynthia because she's I can look at you and see you here. <laughs> is there still a little stank on acupuncture in the, you know, the the uh, foo foo world of medicine, or is it the real thing now and everyone takes it seriously? I, I mean, I think there's, I think it still divides. There's some people that are just not with it, and others who are are totally with it. Although there are studies, you know, they're studying it more. They're studying it in a new way. So, um, yeah, I, I think you can find both. And Kaya, would you agree? Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I'm, I know when I first went to acupuncture school, um, most people that I knew didn't even know what acupuncture was. And now it's become so much more mainstream. I mean, it's all, it's all in a context. It's all relative. But relative to that, acupuncture is, is um, definitely much more commonplace and I think it's um, it's really such an incredible tool for people who who have cancer, whether they're in therapy, in in traditional Western therapy or not. That it's become kind of a little bit more commonplace for people to seek acupuncture out to help them with cancer. Right. I find that always interesting in our in this Westernized civilization that an art that has been practiced for what thirty seven million years in the East is now like was debunked here for how many years and now finally and now insurance takes it like mm -hmm. it's like that's what it took <laughs> for people to start man you know i just fight like yoga is now finally wow yoga you know like growing up in the 80s what the hell is yoga granola organics <laughs> like really i just find it really interesting how far we've come when america decides you know that this is a real thing we should do it um so uh, let, let's let's go back to ali i mean ali you've been on the show a million times you were actually here last week which was nice and, um, you know, you are one of the amazing stories out there of someone who accredits acupuncture. I'm sorry. Um, um, yeah, acupuncture to to your quality of life and quite possibly why you're still with us after being, you know, sort of kind of put on hospice care. Correct. Correct. I mean, I was just talking to Kaya about this the other day in 2009, around the time that I first started seeing her. Uh, they told me that I had four to six months to live. And at the beginning, it was all, you know, let's try to support the therapies that I'm on and, and let's try to get the best quality of life. Um, and so I believe that acupuncture really helped deal with the treatment side effects that I was having. But that was back six years ago. Um, and now I'm still alive. And I'm still, you know, I'm not just alive, I'm living. And I have great quality of life. And I really attribute it to the acupuncture and the Kaya. Um, that I am still able to do what I want to do. Um, and I, you know, am one of those great people that did not pass away the disease that everybody said I would. Well, I'm going to go all third grade and now define acupuncture according to Wikipedia. Because that, of course, the internet is always correct. Acupuncture is a treatment that involves putting fine needles into the body at particular points. The needles are left in place for a short time and then removed. Acupuncture can help with some Physical problems such as pain and feeling sick. It can also help reduce symptoms such as anxiety. Blah, 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 blah. 
Cynthia, <laughs> what it really is acupuncture? <laughs> that, that sounds good to me. <laughs> I mean, I think the fact that it, it, it helps with symptoms such as anxiety, nausea, fatigue, quality of life um, problems that people have, whether they're in cancer treatment or not, and that it, it can affect a change in how you feel. But how? how? How does putting, do we know? Like, what is the, the clinical, is there a westernification science of, you know, eastern art medical practice? I think there's theories, but I don't know that western medicine has totally sussed it out yet. Right. They're still seeking, but those of us who practice know that it's it's working for our patients. Right. And, and Kaya, you're, you're, you've been doing this a very, very long time as well. I assume you would agree with everything Cynthia is saying. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and they have, you know, they've, Western medicine has done studies on acupuncture and, you know, quote-unquote proven that it works in, like, a million studies now, but also done, you know, scans of the brain. And if you put a needle in someone's foot, the brain changes before the nerve has a chance to send that signal to the brain. So we're just beginning to, you know, quote unquote, prove that acupuncture works um, on a science basis. But obviously, like I tell a lot of my patients who say, does, you know, does acupuncture work? Do I have to believe in it for it to work? <laughs> I go, I'm pretty sure that, you know, since it's a 4,000 year old system of medicine, if it didn't work, it probably would have dropped it like 3,500 right. years ago. So it clearly does work. It's just a question of how do we how do we prove it? And for for all the millions of people that I get acupuncture, and it really improves their quality of life in a great way, whether they have cancer or not. Not only they really care how how it's proven on a, on a science basis. It's interesting. I mean, I sort of think it think it's interesting, but it definitely definitely works. Um, and we see it. I see it every day. How extraordinarily it it changes people like top to bottom, through and through, not just symptoms, but you know. It heightens their ability to be themselves and makes them happier, more passionate, more alive. And Allie is absolutely one of the best examples that I have of that. So when she was, you know, when she first came to me, she, you know, had no hair. She had a headscarf on and she was told that she was going to die. And, you know, after she didn't die for a bit, she just decided... And there was a time, a period of time we were talking about this the other day where she was kind of she's a little stunned that she didn't die and kind of figuring out what, what was she going to do now? And then she just, I mean, my, you know, my treatments have been a lot in supporting her body, but also very much in supporting her spirit. There's so many points on the body out of about 365 points. There's so many of them that are really designed to treat someone's spirit. And so, you know, reviving Allie's spirit and, and making sure that she knew exactly who she was, that she could get busy living, if she wasn't going to die, get busy living. Like, that was really what a lot of my treatments were based on, as well as supporting her body and helping her to keep the cancer at bay. So let, let's go to the source itself. Allie, uh, what, what made you want to start doing this in the first place? Well, I had actually taken a dog of mine to acupuncture years ago. Um, wow, long time ago, the dog was injured, and it was a foster dog, and it needed to have therapy. And I saw success with it. And so when I was diagnosed, I thought, well, if I could do it for my dog, then maybe I should do it for myself. And I really wanted help in the symptoms. So I was having horrible side effects from the treatment, nausea, 
um, pain, everything that you can imagine that comes along with chemotherapy. And I just wanted a break. So that's why I started. It's not why I kept going, um, but that's what got me to the acupuncture office. All right, so my stereotype for acupuncture is when Charlotte went for it on Sex in the City and the taxis outside the window were making too much noise, she shouldn't concentrate, and she left the, the room full of needles. So <laughs> is there a certain serenity that you have to have to receive acupuncture? I mean, do, do you have to, like you said, buy into it? Or, I mean, you're physically getting pricked with things. You know, can you just really just sit there and you'll be changed whether you're a cynical Jew like me or not? Cynthia? Yeah, well, I, can I answer that before sure. the, okay. the, the yeah. experts do? Yeah. Matt, I've gotten text messages from you while I've been had needles in, and I've still been able to have the positive effect. <laughs> oh, so I've, I've, I've been... Ta- so it, it carbon neutrals even me, is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm just saying that if you're... I mean, I, I'd like to hear from the experts, but I don't think that you have to necessarily be in this quiet, serene place in order for it to work. I think it can work for you where you are at. Um, now, of course, I'd like to hear what, what the experts have to say about that. All right, so let's go to Cynthia first. Yeah, I think that, um, no, I don't think that you have to believe. I've had many patients that have come in um, and and come back and said, oh, my, my pain is gone, but I don't believe in this. It's, like, it's, <laughs> it's okay, your pain is still gone. You don't, you know, it, it, it's, uh, believe that your pain is gone. That's all that really matters, you know. Um, I don't think it requires a belief. It it works. So, and, and Kaya, have you had uh, skeptics and cynics that you've made lives better? Oh yeah, very much so. I definitely deal with that. I'm right across the street from the Applied Physics Lab for John Hopkins. I have a whole bunch of scientists that trot on over sometimes. And and one of the things that I tell them is that like you know when you take your dog for acupuncture, like Allie did. Mm-hmm. It, it works better and faster on animals than it does on people because they're not in their own way. They're not. They're not. They're not thinking about whether this works or not. They, you know, they just get needles in them and they immediately feel better. And so, I mean, if it works on animals like that consistently, then it's, it's for me that's like proof positive. But yeah, I remember. You know, I I specialize in in women in particular, um, women who have cancer, women who are coming to get pregnant. Um, just women in general. So I remember that Sex in the City um, episode. And first of all, like people rarely have that many needles in them, right. certainly not in their face. And uh, and the other thing is that the needles themselves, although it sounds strange, they do in almost almost across the board. The minute you have needles in you, you begin to relax. It seems weird since you have little stainless steel needles sticking out of you. But that is absolutely considered a side effect of acupuncture is while the needles are in, most people get pretty deeply relaxed. So at the very least, if all you experience is that, that can be worth a lot when you're going through cancer treatments and you're in and out of hospitals and you're talking about white blood cell counts and, you know, and your tumor markers and stuff. It's just it's lovely to get a break from that and then just deeply relax. So absolutely, like you know, Charlotte was not your average yeah, right. in the city. Yes, I, can I just jump in on sure. that and say yes? And and it's so important when you're going through these stressful times that you just have those moments where you can power down and relax, and the the needles definitely help with that. So that that's one of the things that they've studied actually in animals is how it uh, acupuncture can interrupt 
the cascade of stress hormones and actually uh, affect that cascade. And they believe that that's one of the ways that it helps stop stress. So, you know, just another way that animals are helping us understand. Well, how animals don't turtle. drink Starbucks, first and foremost. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they do when you're a bad Even pet owner did. if you do that. Sean, you had a question? Yeah, I was just curious in learning the different examples that you might be able to share. This is for the experts on what parts of the body do you focus on for specific remedies or, or whatever. I'm not sure if there is anything. Yeah, um, it's different for everybody. There's, as, as Kaya said, there are the 365 points and, and a few extras. And it depends on what's happening with each individual, individual person. Uh, everyone's prescription is going to be different because you're different and where you are is different today than it may be next week. So it's, it's a very, um, you know, of the moment, uh, medicine. So you never have the same session twice. Probably not. I mean, it's not unheard of, but right. you know, it doesn't have to be that way. So then are, then how do you, the acupuncturist determine what, like, what is the art? Is it really an art where you just can't, like Miles Davis was once asked, what is jazz? And he said, if you have to ask, you'll never know. <laughs> is it, is this similar, Kaya? Is that similar? Uh, it definitely is. I mean, in the, the, the style of, of acupuncture that I practice, um, it's, you know, in, in an hour session, about 20 minutes to 30 minutes out of every session is the talking part, which can seem a lot like therapy, but it's designed for me to get to know what's going on deeply with that patient that day. So I get to know them over time. Like I know Allie really well now after all these years. Um, but I, I also need to check in with her every time and not assume that the same thing that happened last week and the same person that she is is happening this week. So if she, you know, crabby or, um, you know, something happened on her personal life that is making a difference or she's really, really exhausted because she's been up with you in New York too much, um, it's always my fault. How is it all, I am the carbon <laughs> negator of Allie's acupuncture. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I have to tailor the treatment to be able to compensate for that, and that's in order to keep her balanced so that the cancer can either not you know, progress any further or recede, which it's been, the cancer's been receding for years now. So that, that's kind of the point. Like There's a fundamental, like, since Allie's here, well, you know, I can use her as an example, there's a fundamental alleyness to Allie at certain <laughs> points. There is at certain points speak to um, that I use is like a, you know about ten points that I use um, a lot of those particular points because those, those are like my alley points, my handful of like great alley points. But then I'll it's sort of like painting a painting. Um, you know, I'll use I have a palette of all these different colors, and depending on Allie's doing and how she's doing that day. I might have to pull in some more exhaustion points or some more I'm crabby points or some more, you know, whatever, I'm grieving points um, or I'm sick. Like I feel really, really nauseous today or gosh, you know, something's going on with my body. I have this pain, like certain points that will kind of fill in the alley points to really make it a complete and whole treatment for her today. So that's very much part of this. It's not a, there's no prescription. There's no certain points for everybody that's great for cancer or for any symptom um it's really a very individualized holistic medicine that's designed to treat everybody deeply um as they are that day uh, mallory had a question yes i do have a question kaya you did touch upon this a little bit um what does a typical session look like from start to finish 
Well, after the intake, the first, the very first session is like about two hours, an hour and a half to two hours long, um, because that's really the getting to know you time. Like it's a good hour to an hour and a half of, of talking um, and knowing all about, you know, people's people's journey with cancer, but also like about their history, their childhood, um, how they are right now, their relationships, all that stuff. It's really important for an acupuncturist such as myself to like deeply know the patient or to treat them effectively. But after that initial visit, an average treatment lasts about an hour and um, my patient will come in and talk to me for about 20 to 30 minutes and we'll have a conversation. I have certain things that I'm kind of keeping tabs on. It might be, um, you know, it might be sort of more Western diagnosis stuff like how, how are the, you know, T-cell counts and, you know, tumor markers and all that good stuff. Uh, it also clearly is symptoms, you know, how's the nausea, how's, you know, sleeping, how's, you know, whatever. Um, but also, how are they feeling? That's really, really important um, because tailoring the treatment to help people's spirits, I find, is extremely effective in helping keeping their body in balance. So that's that's a big part of the treatment is the is the talking part and then they get up on the table and I put the needles in and usually in an average treatment there's uh, for me there's like eight to ten needles um, so it's not like Charlotte from Sex and City where she had like a hundred needles in her face <laughs> um, it's, it's or like the Nutty Professor come... remember the Nutty Professor he had like three thousand needles <laughs> not, in him exactly yeah. not like that definitely not like that. But the needles will be, usually there'll be some points that are like by a couple points by the feet, a couple points like in the abdomen, you know, a couple points on the wrist. It kind of they kind of go all over the place. Some of them are in the head, um, and then the needles are left for about 20 minutes. Um, and usually I put like wave sounds or something on. And I, it's really important that the patient be comfortable, like temperature-wise, because the treatment, like I said, a side effect of all treatments is is relaxation. So if they have to pee or if they're cold or whatever, um, it's important to like make them as comfortable as, as they can be. And when the needles are in for those 20 minutes, usually people will really relax. Sometimes they fall asleep. And then when I come back in, I, I what's called read their pulses, which means I take their hand and I feel their wrist and, uh, and their pulses tell me like how the treatment went. I, I take them beforehand as well. And I tell, you know, to ask them how their treatment was and so on. And, and that by the end of the, all of that, usually that's about an hour and, and they, they go home. And in the beginning treatments, usually are done weekly. Um, sometimes if someone's in active treatment with chemo, like infusions sort of frequently and having like a very, a very sort of a, an aggressive uh, treatment, I'll see them twice a week um, during that time as it really makes a giant difference in and um, addressing the symptoms and trying to and helping people stay comfortable. But after that, um, it's, you know, weekly for a little bit in the beginning of treatment, and then it depends. You know, some people come once a month if they're in remission um, and they're, you know, doing really well. Other people come, like, they like to get into a rhythm of, like, every two weeks. Some people come when they feel like they need it, which can vary from, you know, once a month to once, you know, a couple times a year. And some people do great and live happily ever after, and I don't see them again, which I hope means good things. So um, it kind of varies, but that's basically how it, the gist of how it goes. Cynthia, would you agree that's a pretty good 
Absolutely. I mean, it's you, you spend a lot of time checking in with your patient, talking to them, and, and we're lucky in this medicine that um, acupuncture addresses the mind, body, spirit, the emotional life. All of that is inherent in the points and in the treatment. So, um, you know, you're getting, you're getting your entire uh, system treated, not just your physical. And I think that that's really great when you're going through something that's treated so physically on the Western level. Um, it's great to have that other perspective that's looking at you in the wholeness of you and in the, well, you know, in the parts of you that are seeking to be well. So, um, yeah. Yes. Well, I, we have about uh, like two or three minutes left. I want to I want to wrap up by talking about the the adoption of this art by the I guess the allopathic universe. Because you know your bio says you work at Sloan Kettering. No, I don't. I just studied with their. Oh, um, you studied there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact that they have an integrated medicine program, I guess, then speaks volumes. Are they doing this because patients want it, or are they doing it because they believe the value that it has? from like a quantitative level on outcomes? I think it's both. Yeah? Yeah, I think there's a lot of patient interest and um, and there and there's the science. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's many cancer uh, centers across the United States. More and more. More and more that are, are seeking to integrate this medicine for their patients because there's nothing invasive. There's not a, they're not taking something that's going to affect how they're chemo is working it's, there's no substance entering the body right so on a on a kind of material level um you know it's a there really is no like a do no harm exactly yeah it's not like taking a supplement that could inter interact with your interferon you don't know that stuff uh, yeah. kayla question then i mean so this is more of a meta question why will there become a day where the art of acupuncture will no longer be considered integrative but just part of health I feel like that's a semantic that keeps it, will always keep it segregated from health by calling it complementary and alternative because whatever we have before that was what we're supposed to do. Yeah, well, I certainly hope so. I mean, you're, you're definitely uh, speaking my language here. I mean, I, the way that the system of medicine was actually held for thousands of years is primarily as keeping people well. It was not designed as much to treat when someone was sick. So it's ideally, it's uses actually to, to help people stay well. I mean, I know in my community, which is a lot of acupuncturists, I've taught at the school for many, many years and, you know, lots of students and all my friends are acupuncturists and stuff. Like that's absolutely the way that we use acupuncture. We all get acupuncture. We don't get it weekly, but, um, but we use it to stay well when we start to feel a little funny or grumpy or if we have a pain or whatever, if you get a treatment right away, it, it really is, it, it is it's eliminated and you kind of balance is restored. So I think that, you know, over time, here's my theory is that people who go to acupuncture spend a lot less money in Western medical fields. Like, and I think the insurance companies are starting to catch wind with that. So it is, it is to everyone's advantage to use acupuncture as a, as a way of life, like just like going to their doctor. It's just the way it is because then they don't have to go to their doctor as much. And acupuncture feels great. I mean, I know it sounds weird with the needles and everything. <laughs> you can get very strange about the needles, but they're super, super tiny. They're the size of a width of a hair, basically. 
and they're not they're not scary at all. Um, and once the needles are in it, it feels great, and people just flourish. So I certainly hope that what you just said is going to be the way the, the the new way that it's going to be, and that people don't see it as quote alternative anymore. It's not like off the beaten track. It's just kind of normal. It's like what what you do. You feel you feel not so good. You go to your acupuncturist, see if that can be addressed there. And then if you break a bone, by golly, you go you know you go to your doctor, you go to your hospital. Um, but so many things can be treated with acupuncture before they get to the point where you need to see a Western allopathic doctor. Allie Ward, final word. I don't know that I have just one word. It, it, <laughs> for me, it really works. And you would recommend this to anyone, let alone specifically cancer patients? I do, and I was just talking to another survivor yesterday, and I said, I hate to be this person that says, have you tried this? Because I got sick of everybody telling me, did you try you know, this treatment or this therapy whenever I was going to treatment? But I do ask my friends, have you tried acupuncture? Because I'm, I'm proof that it has worked for me. Um, so I like to encourage other people to try it as well. Awesome. Well, this has been a wonderful show. We've been speaking with Cynthia Hewitt, New York City-based licensed acupuncturist and certified herbalist. Uh, Kaya Larson, uh, practicing acupuncture professor at the Maryland University for Integrative Health. And our very own Allie Ward, VP of Programs for Cancer and eight-year ovarian, stage four ovarian cancer survivor. Ladies, thank you so much for a very engaging show. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night, guys. All right. Good night. All right, and uh, with that, I guess, any final comments before we close? Sean, have you done acupuncture? I've actually I've always wanted to try it, so maybe we'll talk. Isn't there a website? <laughs> that would isn't, be great. isn't there like AccuFinder or something? Actually, I'm yeah. staring at Acu one right weather. now. Yeah. You come to my house? You can find me right here yeah. in the room. <laughs> Where do you practice? I practice at uh, 345 7th Avenue here in the city, Inner Source Health. Okay. So you wouldn't come here? I could. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just be really lazy about it. Office acupuncture hours. Yes. Just lay out on the table right, <laughs> right, here, right, right. on the chemo deck. We'll just yeah. clear your, de your desk off. <laughs> Mallory, have you ever done acupressure, acupuncture, anything? I haven't, but now I'm rather curious. I am curious now, so I've never done can, it. Can they do it direct to the liver? <laughs> uh, hmm, no, but we can affect the liver. Yes. <laughs> Kenny needs like a, a we'll purge. Talk. We'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> I, need, I need the products <laughs> and I need the, the acupuncture. Yes, exactly. It's good stuff. All right, folks. Great show. And now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our 337th episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Ashley England, Allie Ward, Cynthia Hewitt, and Kaya Larson. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity that comprehensively addresses young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. If you haven't already, visit stupidcancershow.org.
and never miss a show by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of myself, Kenny Kane, Mallory Rivera, Sean Shapiro, and my whole team here, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next broadcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Good night, folks. Night, everybody. Tours, so...